Well, good evening, Family Church. It's great to be here again, speaking from the church office tonight. Unfortunately, we're just here pre-lockdown. It's really a shame that today we can't meet in person because I was so looking forward to that. I'm sure many of you were as well. But the great thing is that God's word will still come through to you this evening through this broadcast. So, yeah, first of all, we're just going to open the evening in prayer to the Lord. So, Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to still speak your word, Lord. We thank you that nothing stops you in your word, Father. Nothing can prevent you from just speaking out your word this evening, Father, to people, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that we have open hearts and open ears, Lord. And that your purposes will be revealed in, in tonight's preach, Lord. And that each and every one of us, Lord, will get something from this word, Father. We just thank you in Jesus' name. So, as you may well know... You've been paying attention the last few weeks um, I'm sure you have um, we've been speaking on the fruit of the Spirit now straight away I have to say that the first thing I learned from this thing in the very first week in the very first sentence almost was that I was thought the fruit of the Spirit was the fruits of the Spirit so I was very grateful to learn it's not just a whole load of fruits but one particular fruit and we can read about them in Galatians and that's in Galatians 5, verse 22, and it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Which is just as well, really. So tonight, I'm going to be speaking um, on faithfulness. And God's put a word on my heart um, a passage of scripture which we'll be coming to in a minute um, which hopefully we'll be able to draw something out of about being faithfulness and also what happens when you aren't faithful and then we'll be looking at ways in which we can grow our faithfulness so what does faithful mean well the dictionary definition says it's true or loyal consistently reliable we know that god is consistently reliable he is true, he is loyal, he will never desert us, he's always for us, he's never against us. His plans are to prosper us, to give us a full life. You know, his promises are so many, but any situation we face in life are for us. But what does the Bible say about God's faithfulness? Well, I've got a few scriptures here just to remind us. So in Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's in one of those songs we sing in church. Great is your faithfulness. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, our Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Psalm 33.4 says, For the word of the Lord is right and true, is faithful in all he does, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. 
The earth is full of his unfailing love. And finally, Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5 says, Into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through the ages. And that's great, isn't it? Because we're in this age now and we know we can rely on his faithfulness. But I want to go back into a time um, in the Old Testament when we look at God's faithfulness. And this is the story in 1 Samuel uh, 25 of David, Nabal and Abigail. So it says, now verse 1, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Now Samuel, if you remember, is the prophet who anointed David to be king. So David moved down to the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. Now, although this man was wealthy, we have to remember there's, there's four types of riches. There's riches in what you have. There's riches in what you do. There's riches in what you know. And there's riches in who you are, your character. So you may have one. You may have all four and we'll be seeing you know who has what in this particular story so this wealthy man his name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail now Nabal means fool now in the ancient um, times names were connected with your character so it's unlikely that his parents um, would have named him Nabal as a fool so it's probably something he's earned by reputation over the years So Abigail was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. So while David was in the desert, so just to explain here why David was in the desert, because he was on the run from Saul. Although David had been anointed, he hadn't yet been appointed king. And Saul, the uh, king at the time, was desperately trying to get rid of David and kill him because he knew of David's um, anointing. So David was in the desert. He heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young, men, ten, ten, young, ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. So that's a warm, friendly greeting. And he's sending young men up there because he's, he doesn't want to be um, sort of in his face. It's just you know, a nice and friendly greeting. So now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. Now, what does that mean? Well, sheep shearing is significant because that's the time when sheep ranchers harvest, it's the harvest time basically. And traditionally it's a time of feasting and festival. When your shepherds were with us, we didn't ill treat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable towards my young men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So David's not asking for much here, really, just the basics. You know, they've been living from hand to mouth, hiding in caves, living in the desert. You know, food is going to get scarce, you know, decent meals. And now he's thinking, you know what, it's, it's festival time. You know, his, his men have been a wall of protection for Nabal and his shepherds. They've basically been 
at a time when uh, lots of raiding parties from the uh, Amalekites and the Pharisees have been raiding um, the fields and stealing sheep and killing shepherds and things, David's army of men have, have literally camped out in a big wall around the shepherds and protected them um, from people stealing from the flocks. And they've also avoided any temptation themselves to acquire some lamb steaks for themselves. So they've done the shepherds and Nabal a great service, but now it's payback time. So when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. So Nabal asked his question, who is David? Now David is famous throughout all Israel. You know, he's known as the person who's killed Goliath, the giant. So he's known. Everyone knows he's anointed. Um, but Nabal here refuses to acknowledge that he's been anointed. He refuses to acknowledge any help, the blessing that David has been to him. Uh, and basically, he just thrown an insult, assault at the very, an insult at the very end of the day by just stating that basically all David is a rebellious servant. So David's men, oh, so then Nabal said, why should I take my bread and water and the meat I slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? And this just shows Nabal's selfishness by referring to my bread, my water, my meat. Because when people recognised in those days, everything belonged to God. And it was a custom of people um, when you had strangers in your midst to be hospitable to them. And particularly when you owed them something to, to give them like this, this great banquet sort of thing. So Nabal was being extremely stingy here. So David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. So David's reaction is very angry. He's been insulted. He's been disrespected. He's been dis. He's probably promised his men a great feast that day and now he's lost face and he's got a red mist that's come up before him. Now he's got 400 men immediately prepared with their swords, ready to go in, and he's not going in for a friendly chat with Nabal, I can assure you. His intentions are murderous. But it's not God, what God would want him to deal with this situation. And we will just say, you know, a bit about God's men. Um, earlier in, in Samuel, these are described as people that are in debt, distressed and discontented. So, yeah, I mean, Pastor Paul can imagine you know, what that's like, but um, I'm sure. But probably they're encouraging him to take matters into their own hands. They'll be very disillusioned now. After being promised this meal, they'll be thinking, yeah, come on, let's just go and get it by our own hand anyway. So one of the servants told Nabal's wife Abigail and David sent messengers from the desert from the desert <laughs> to give our master his greetings, but he held insults at them. But these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were all around us, and all that time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So the servant probably knows in this situation from past experience and the bowl just does not listen to reason, just doesn't listen to anybody. Because as we know, um, 
he's just a sort of a, a tyrant basically. So Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband in the bar. So the fact that she could put all this stuff at hand just so quickly shows just how much food was ready and available. And it just really emphasises how stingy Nabal was not giving any food to anybody and, and Abigail's wisdom shows here as well because just to let you know that like 200 loaves um they're not like our sort of slice loaf you go down to the Morrison and get a holus and basically fat flatbreads and one piece of flatbread would field three men or feed three menu so 200 um, flatbreads feeding three men is enough for 600 men which coincidentally is the 600 that David had and again, with the two skins of wine, one skin is 50, uh, 15 litres, and so two skins are about 30 litres of wine. Just perfect for a communion-sized cup for about 600 people. And this, wouldn't have been, this would have been fermented wine as well, so if you added water to it, it purified it. So again, Abigail's wisdom just shines through here. So as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, and she's going to the ravine, which is out of sight of uh, Maon, because she obviously doesn't want to see Nabal. There was David and his men descending, descending towards her, and she met them. And David had just said, it's been useless. All my washing over this fellow's property in the desert, so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. So even now, even though he's coming down the mountain, David is still absolutely seething with this situation. So you can imagine the courage and the boldness Abigail is showing by coming down here on a donkey, a single woman, approaching 400 angry men on horses. So when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. So straight away, Abigail diffuses the situation here by being humble. Now, humility opens the door of opportunity in this situation. Now, even though she's rich, beautiful and powerful, she humbles herself and then takes the blame upon herself because she knows that David would punish her differently to the way he would do the whole household. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal, she said. He is just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift, the food, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. So again, she's wise here, emphasising it's not just for David, but it's for all the men. So it appeases them as well. Please forgive your servant's offence. The Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you, as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away, 
that's from the pocket of a sling. And what she's referring to there, of course, is how God fought the battle for David when he fought Goliath. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant, she said. So basically, Abigail here suggested a positive outcome to the situation where David will not lose face. She mentions David's character in growing, glowing terms. She reminds David of the Lord's promise, his faithfulness that he's shown in the past. And he's asked, she's asking David to look beyond the current circumstances to see the bigger promises of God. Now David knows he's been anointed to be king and he's about to just jeopardise all that with his murderous intentions. So she says to David, consider the outcome if he continues on the same course. She refers to God as the one restraining him from bloodshed. Just remind David that God is here. He has sent Abigail. She asks David, let the Lord settle this matter. It's not your battle again. She reminds him of God's faithfulness and, and when he had to trust in the Lord of victory over Goliath. That was God's battle. So after all this, David's attention has switched now from Nabal back to God. And David says to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed, or from bloodshed this day, and for avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, he who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your requests. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. Now that just shows really how stupid he was really, because when your life is in jeopardy, the last thing you should be doing is feasting and getting drunk. But Abigail realising this, realising it's a complete and utter waste of time to be speaking with Nabal at this particular time. So she says, wait till the morning. So she told him nothing until daybreak. But in the morning when Nabal, Nabal was sober, Abigail said to him all the things she had done with David. And Nabal's heart failed him and he became like a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. You see, Nabal's death here has proved God's faithfulness to David and that David did not need to avenge himself with his own hand. If he had followed that route, then King Saul would have had a legitimate reason to hunt down David and kill him. And also the Israelites would within probably not trusted David, thought, can this be the sort of person that can be trusted when he's going around murdering innocent people? Oh, Nepal's household. 
So David knew Nabal's death was God's judgment on Nabal's arrogant, antagonistic, evil way of life. And Abigail also benefited by her faithfulness because when she met with David, she could have probably made a deal with him and said, look, I'll tell you where Nabal is. If you're here at such, such a time, you can just go and kill him, but please spare the rest of the household and here's the meat. And she would be rid of him because obviously this is a very testing marriage for her. Somebody who totally just did not respect her and didn't get her at all. And you may be wondering, well, why was she married to him? But of course, in those days, there was lots of arranged marriages. So she probably had little choice. So in faith, she stuck with her husband still, even though she could have probably arranged to get rid of him. She also allowed God to deal with the situation. And by Nabal's death, she also benefited. Because as we can see from here, David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, Here is your maid servant ready to serve you and wash the feet of my master's servants. When Abigail quickly got on a donkey, attended by her five maids, went with David's messages and became his wife and almost certainly lived happily ever after. Well, that's what we like to believe anyway. So, what lessons can we learn from this story? Well, first of all, I always picture like the fruit of the spirit as being um, like an orange, really. And, uh, you know, each or as we know, an orange has segments in it sort of thing. And each segment is like that part of the spirit. And as we know with an orange, sometimes when you open it, um, there's bits that are a bit bruised, aren't there? Um, or, or a bit dried out. And, and sometimes you know, we can be a bit like that. If we get hurt, our pride gets hurt, our feelings get hurt. We find it hard to forgive people. And, and this is a situ situation here with David, really, that he, his feelings, he's lost faith, uh, lost face with his, his, friend, his, his uh, army of, of soldiers and stuff. And, and he's just lost his head, basically. He's just lost his head here. But, yeah, when the fruit of the Spirit, when you have that, and you're just that juice, juicy part in you, you do not lose that. It just comes, what I'm trying to say is really that the fruit, when you have a fruit, it just, like Abigail had that faithfulness in there. And David just briefly, in that bruised part of him, had forgotten all about that faithfulness. But when she came back, she just reminded him. And that, and that juiciness of, of, of knowing of what God's faithfulness is like reminded David to get back on track. So, we know in Proverbs 28 20 it says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So we know in this situation David had asked just for a basics in terms of the food, but he got a banquet in terms of all the food that God gave him. And also, of course, God dealt with Nabal in a way that David never would have been able to do. So other things we can learn from this is that faithful people sacrificed themselves for others like Abigail did here. She put, her, put her, her, herself into a sacrificial place for the rest of the household of Nabal. Faithful people speak words of encouragement and wisdom. You know, they lift people up, don't put them down. It would have been easy for Abigail to tear into David and say, you fool, what are you doing? You're just as bad as Nabal, making these bad decisions. But she reminded David of who he was, the character he was. 
Faithful people trust in God in dangerous situations. Faithful people are peacemakers, not antagonists. Faithful people focus on God, not the problem. They see the bigger picture. Now they recognise that they might be in testing seasons, but they stay true to God's purposes. Faithful people are generous in their giving, as we saw here with Abigail. It wasn't just meat, water uh, and, and uh, the basics of bread there. It was a, a whole load of stuff ready for a feast. And also, faithful people should desire a good name. You know, when people hear your name, what do they think? Are, are you a consistent, loyal person? Are you someone who's reliable? You know, Proverbs 3, 3 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will in favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. So I said earlier that the fruit of the Spirit is like an orange. So we can see that the segment is faithfulness to keep it juicy and perfect from drying out. How, what can we do? So the Bible says we've all been given a measure of faith. Uh, and Pastor Paul last week touched on uh, the parable of the talents. Uh, the story where three different men were given um, some talents, which is, is money basically of one, two or five value. And they had to grow, grow them. And the point of the story is that God has an expectation for us to grow what he has given us. But how can we grow our faith? You know, when I became a Christian, I knew absolutely nothing about God, really. I mean, this is like 12 or 13 years ago now. But I mean, I remember that David and Goliath, as far as I was concerned, it, was a, it wasn't even a Bible story. I thought it was a fable, like the tortoise and the hare. I didn't actually realise it was anything to do with God at all. And when I became a Christian, my, I had so many sceptical doubts about God. But I made a, a deal with God. I said, look, I'll have an open heart. If you just show me who you are and show me your faithfulness to me, I will put into practice what you are teaching me. And I made that promise to God that when I hear preachers and when I read the word, I will put as much as I can into practice. And that doesn't mean to say initially I put every single thing there. But each week I pick one thing. And what I discovered was that as I put those things into practice in my work, uh, into my everyday life, I found out it was truth. Everything was truth. Everything God said came true. It was faith. You know, <laughs> he is faithful to his word. So I encourage you to read the Bible, to get to know the Bible, get to know God, get to know Jesus, talk with God, have conversations with him, see him as your friend, because he is your friend. He wants nothing but good things for you. Listen to him. You know, it's, it's quite easy. It's difficult to start with, but gradually, the more you listen for God, you can discern his voice. And it's just such an incredible thing when you think of how small we are and insignificant we are in the world in the scheme of things, that God is actually talking to you. It's just amazing. It just blows my mind. I can't get my mind around it. So implement what you hear when people preach, when you read things. Feed your heart with God's word and promises. Just declare scriptures over the situations in your life or promises and hold on to them. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is faithful, so therefore you will be rewarded 
if you earnestly seek him. So faithfulness is a lifestyle choice. And we can only operate in the fruit of the Spirit if we join our lives in tandem with Jesus and we try to imitate who Jesus is. Now, sometimes we fail in that. I mean, David, obviously, you know, he's anointed to be king and it says he was a person after, a man after God's own heart. But, you know, we see in this story, he was going to fail at one point and we know at other times he failed. But the great thing about God's faithfulness is he always has you back. Yes, there may be a consequence when we mess up, but you know what? He always has us back because he is so faithful to us. He, you know, when we believe what the Bible says, an act of calling on it, God is just amazing. He cannot lie. Now, faithfulness is really faith-filledness. When we trace the hand of God's faithfulness over our life, it gives us strength, courage and boldness for situations to be faced now and in the future. When we focus on God's problems, or when we focus on God's promises rather, our problems diminish in size. You know, and one thing I really try very hard to do is not to worry. I mean, I've taken that promise because God, I know God is faithful in that. He says, Jesus says, do not worry because it doesn't do you any good, basically. And I know that worry basically is us trying to hold on to a situation ourselves and trying to control that situation. But when we don't worry, and this is what I found, unless I worry, it's just such a great thing you have peace over situations and of course sometimes you know i fail you know i'm just human and of course we all we all fail sometimes our emotions take over but i found so much peace in that promise of god that do not worry so i try to worry a lot less than i did i'm hoping you know to get to a situation where i'm just totally focused so focused on god that you don't even think about what you're worrying about so david's situation back then reminds me a bit of our current situation now, David was reduced to hiding in caves on the run from Saul, trying to kill him. I see a similarity with us being forced in, you know, into a lockdown now. It's like our cave, if you like. And the devil is on the prowl, seeking to steal, kill and destroy. Now, like David back then, you know, we're in a tough season. Now, in David's case, we have an advantage over him because we know his story. We read all about it in the Bible and we know how it all turned out for him. But in his situation, he was just living day by day while God was preparing him for what lay ahead for him. And we know they were great things. And he had to trust in God's faithfulness that all would work out. And of course, God already knew everything was going to work out. I mean, yes, there may be some blips like there was in all our lives. But basically, God had a great plan for David and he has a great plan for you. He has a great plan for our church. And God's faithfulness is going to take us through that. You know, I believe in this season, God is preparing the church. You know, church is not, we know that church is not a building. It's us, the people in it. Now, it's not the time, you know, to sit around waiting for church meetings to restart sometime in the future. But it's the time to show our faithfulness in response to Jesus' faithfulness. In Matthew 28, verses 1920, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. There's Jesus and his faithfulness saying, surely it means certainly you can rely on the fact that I am with you always. He's never not with us. And you may have noticed the sort of theme in the church. I know Andy, Pastor Andy was speaking today, um, and talking about his book about just evangelizing people and, and you know, just 
get a copy of Handy's book and you're, if you're not sure how to, if you're unsure about how to uh, preach, speak to people about God and share your story and things, it's going to be full of wonderful tips and just how, how to go about that sort of thing. But we need to be faithful because God is faithful and He's going to be with us when we go into these situations. We need to pray for divine appointments. If you know what a divine appointment is, where God will just put someone in your life, it might be just someone in a supermarket, it could be a friend, a family member, but they'll just say something. It'll just suddenly open up an opportunity. It'll open a window of opportunity if you just say something about God. So just pray for those things because God is faithful. And in his faithfulness, we know that um, he, he will lead us to those divine opportunities. Now, when I was a kid, uh, we used to sing, well, it was more Christian in those days when I was at school, but we sang a, a, some songs in assembly before school, and, and one of those songs, God is reminding me of the words, and it's, we plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land. And I believe when God shows me these things, it's not just by chance I've suddenly thought of that, that he, there's, there's a meaning behind that. And the good seed for me, spreading the gospel to our friends, family, and colleagues. Now, I know that's gonna be a bit more difficult at the moment in lockdown, but you know what? Because it's a great opportunity as well to prepare ourselves for what we're going to say when we, we have these opportunities. We know, 2 Peter 3 9 says, the Lord is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that a great promise? That we can know that, that God is not wanting anyone to perish. No one in our, in our circle of friendship or family, God doesn't want them to go. He wants them to come to heaven and come to know him. We know God is faithful to his word. So now it's time for us to be faithful to, to God. And let's go and scatter that good seed all over the land and prepare for a great harvest in the coming season. Because like before, we couldn't see David's story, but God knew the end. We can't see our story at the moment, but God knows the end. And I know that God is so faithful that it's going to be a great ending to this season, when this season ends and the next season starts, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be an incredible harvest. So we'll be praying for that. And uh, yeah, let's just continue to be faith-filled people, full of faithfulness, because that's what God is. In Jesus' name, yeah? Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to end in prayer. Um, I thank you for being with me tonight. Um, I hope you've got something out tonight to preach. Um, I certainly got some stuff out of it when I was preparing it, so there's some stuff that I'll be putting in, into place in my life. And, um, yeah, Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We're just thankful, Lord, that you are so faithful. Lord, we just thank you that well, when we make mistakes, you pick us up and dust us down, Lord, and you just put us back on the right track, Lord. We just thank you that your promises are all yes and amen, Father. We thank you that you protect us, Lord. We thank you that your plans for us are only good plans, Lord. To prosper us, not to harm us, Lord. Lord, I just thank you that you will never, ever forsake us. You are with us to the end of the age. And we thank you that you are unchanging, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so that's it. So next week, Pastor Paul will be back. Have a fantastic week. Um, keep praying. Keep seeking after God earnestly. And just be blessed and be safe. 
and be happy in Jesus' name. Okay, amen.